Welcome, this is the Collective Nightmares Podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror films. My name is Marshall Smith. I love horror. I, lo- I teach a class on the sociology of horror. Horror has been a significant part of my life because at its best, horror explores the limits of people. And at its worst, it is a genre that can um, encourage uh, the worst among us. And I'm Laura Patterson. Marshall and I have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado. And I like horror, yes, because at its best, it can help us talk about really helpful and interesting experiences that people go through and really dig into some of the the darker aspects of the human experience, which very often are the areas that we really need to talk about the most and we need to have more conversation around. And at its worst, I can't help but say that because I feel like this film very much so did some of the worst things that horror can do. At its worst, it can really perpetuate seriously problematic types of human behavior and uh, stereotypes that we hold about other people. And and I think this is a really good example of that. Spoiler on my (laughs) take on the film. (laughs) I don't know. That's really a spoiler. Oh, spoiler on your take. Yes. Um, Having gone back and I've been revisiting Foucault, I was thinking another version of the intro could have been his We Don't Define the Normal. We identify and label the abnormal and we leave the normal implied and that seems oddly relevant here yeah and also though i would argue in horror very often things that get labeled as abnormal are not abnormal they're abnormal in the sense that we don't spend a lot of time thinking or talking about them but they're not abnormal in the sense that they're not pervasive and really common and really affect people's lives and so it's sort of that closing putting on blinders and closing ourselves off to what is actually fairly common you know i'm referencing sort of horror in general in people's experiences that that horror i think does a service sounds like a Foucaultian argument also before we get too far down that rabbit hole, you can find the entire backlog of our episodes on collectivenightmares.com. Subscribe, rate, review us. We are on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, so you should be able to find us on whatever podcast app you use. Today, we watched Eden Lake. Eden Lake is a 2008 film where a young couple on a romantic weekend confront a gang of loutish youths. <laughs> Sorry. With terrifying consequences. <laughs> yeah. DMCK, I appreciate your summary on IMDb. It's in the word loudish used in quite some time. <laughs> Written and directed by James Watkins and starring primarily Kelly Riley and Michael Fassbender as the uh, romantic couple. And yeah, we were hoping to return to some very sort of more traditional, violent, straightforward, if you will, horror. And arguably we did. I don't know if that was to our benefit or not, but we appreciate you joining us and uh, we hope you enjoy our discussion of Eden Lake. Do you want to go first? Can I? Yeah. All right. I appreciated that this film 
if anything, ask the question. When people are being jerks, at what point is violence justified? <laughs> or a more neutral way of saying that might be something like this. Ask the fundamental question of the social contract. Where does your space end and mine begin? And that being said, like, that was all fine. And, and I actually enjoyed the film overall. I thought it was pretty classic uh, hunter, cat and mouse, kind of stalking, survival, torture porn. That would not, would not, not even very much torture porn. But I will say it was punctuated by things that were by practical slash logistical decisions that were so laughably bad that it really took away from what I thought would have otherwise been a fine film. Really? I am baffled by that being your reaction. I, I, I asked if you wanted to go first because I thought you must be just dying to hate it and I didn't want to slow you down. No, I didn't hate it. Wow. I find that fascinating. I was sure I hated it until maybe the last 10 minutes. Really? And then I got confused about whether I hated it. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying I don't. I'm just saying I was sure of it until then. And then and I couldn't quite piece it all together by the end. Okay, I, I feel like I should lead with saying that I, I suggested that we do a film that have a lot of violence. And one of the reasons... I wanted to do something that had a lot of violence because we haven't recently is because a way that horror can actually, I think, be very, very impactful in terms of making a moral argument is when it really stokes up your, I guess, um, you getting to experience whatever the, the bad side of the moral question it tries to pose is, you know, that that can really elicit a lot of emotion in you as an audience member, and that can make a really effective argument. And sometimes horror can be used really well, and violence can be used really well in that way. And so I expected that, and I was hoping that there would be a really a cogent moral argument of some sort that it presented. And I think it's actually even interesting what you led with, that, like, it was about, okay, when people are being jerks, when can you actually intervene with violence? I didn't even see that clear of a question. I felt like it, it posed basically no question, oh. except maybe it was so obviously punctuated by at the beginning and the end by commentary on like children and child rearing and problem kids. And so I thought maybe the point was supposed to be like, those damn hoodlums, which also seemed problematic in this sort of, <sighs> it seems to be making an argument that there was like a whole segment of society that is supporting and propagating and helping nurture these problematic little kids who are just going to be punks and go around and cause problems. And I felt like at worst, that's a really dangerous othering social commentary people from that side of the tracks, you know, clearly don't know how to raise their kids and don't care about what their kids are doing. And they're going to let their kids just go off and be awful. And, and all those people are totally terrible. And there was certain, certainly an element of that going on in this film. The, all those people are terrible. I mean, even the parents, right? Had, it's like, you think you got out and then no, everybody in this whole community clearly is just only looking out for themselves. They, don't care about this terrible behavior the kids are doing. And I think, gosh, sorry, I'll, I'll stop for a second and let you interject back in. But 
even at the end when our with Jenny, I guess, shows up at that party, and it was so comically a debauchery party. I mean, it just felt like in the vein of slasher films. Here she comes walking into a party that's like everybody's drinking and naked, and I don't know what was going on with like the carnival tent and stuff. It just looked like a very carnival esque kind of. There are beer bottles in the sink. I just felt like there was a commentary on like this culture, whatever that was. There was some sort of theming. You never put beer bottles in a sink. Well, no, I just, I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying <laughs> to like ice them down. <laughs> I'm not saying that that divide exists. I'm saying I feel like this film felt to me like it was setting up that kind of divide. I don't know, or it was about parenting. <laughs> uh, I, I thought that they were trying to, I thought they were trying to bookend it with cycle of violence. What was the film we saw that was like? Chile or Argentina or somewhere in South America where it was like the night morgue guy. Is that what it was? And then the community. Oh, I liked that one. Yeah. yeah. And then somehow somebody, didn't she like show up as a ghost or a spirit or something? It was. And it breaks. Doesn't it? Isn't, wasn't there something? Family, cycle of violence happened in that film? <laughs> Or domestic violence, or like... This is going to be so interesting for people who haven't listened in detail to every single one of our episodes and don't know what we're talking about. Like, no, that's another film that we did that, like, nobody's seen. It was surprisingly good. It was really good. It was was where a guy worked in a morgue, and he could talk to the people who came in to the morgue, the dead people. He could talk to them. Spoilers for whatever film this is. (laughs) It was a really good film. It was night something. I don't know. Night worker. Oh, that sounds... Night maybe. shift. It wasn't just night shift, because that's just Stephen King's thing. Night person. <laughs> so, moving on. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. You can cut yeah. that back in, maybe, since it was one of our films, so you could look it up. If we actually figure out what it is. Uh, so, I, I think they were trying try to do that. It, it was thin. But they did. They did. God, there were so many things I hated about this. Oh, it's okay, so funny. I, it <laughs> is. is. That why, we're we're getting in divided. You know, I thought it was like fine. Okay, so wait, let me well, let me just lay out some of the like low hanging fruit okay, things yeah, I hated. Maybe please. it's good to start there. Yeah. So great. we had the villain in the film was this sort of macho, masculine jerkiness, and the protagonist in the film had that too. Just less. The male, yeah, what was his name? I don't remember. Steve. Steve, yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Steve was, he was like the watered down, socially acceptable version of that. He didn't do anything horrible. He didn't want to get involved in their trouble. He also seemed to have all of the like low grade symptoms of that same complex the same sort of jockeying for position showing comparative social power by asserting your aggression and your dominance and he he nodded at that with his interactions with jenny i mean it was painful when he picked her up and threw her in the lake because that wasn't the first time that happened i mean that wasn't the first time that i feel like he had done that oh gosh i mean the lead-in which maybe was meant to be homage but whatever when they're in the tent and he does the whole like oh steve stop fooling around you know and you don't know if it's really steve and then it is steve and it's like just he had that going throughout the whole beginning of the film and so it was weird to juxtapose him as the protagonist, one of the protagonists, against just a much worse version of that. 
because I didn't feel like we were clearly. I didn't like Steve. I didn't hate him yeah. as much as right. the other people. Totally. I guess. But, but yeah, I didn't, no, I didn't like him. Either. I didn't like him. And there were all these weird corollaries going with like. I feel like Steve didn't want to get involved, and so he didn't. He didn't immediately take the bait. Oh, opportunity to show my manhood? Sure, I'll jump in and start causing a bunch of trouble and whatever. He didn't really do that. But he also, he didn't interfere, you know, in the first, the kid that they met on the way into the woods. Adam. Right. Yeah, when he looks like he's being bullied by these kids. Steve very clearly says, oh, that's just boys being boys. Just let them do their thing. It's not worth my trouble to bother. So it, it felt very much like he didn't want to interfere when it, wasn't an attack on him and even when it was sort of an attack on jenny i resented the film for making him the one who had to manage i don't want jenny to have to walk over there either but like it just felt like the, the film clearly cast him as the one responsible for taking care of jenny's well-being and so he goes off into the lake and you know the dog comes and harasses jenny and he has to decide oh, do i do something do i not do something and that felt I didn't like the way that felt. I also then didn't like it when he finally does go over. And there were just clear comparisons made between, like, this is my dog and that's your dog, being Jenny. I mean, that was obvious. And so I felt like they were setting him up both as a as someone who, like, perpetuated that same kind of version of masculinity and also someone who did it sort of so low-level under the radar that he wasn't going to be pegged as a... He wasn't going to be pegged as a problem in the film, but the problematic behavior that they were highlighting was so similar to what he did. Just He does it on the sort of insidious, pervasive level, whereas they're doing it on the ridiculously blown to an extreme level. And so that I, I hated that setup from the beginning because I thought, if anything, by, by casting him as a protagonist, then you're, you're, you're showing like no corollary between those two things. And they're exactly the same thing. He's... He's perpetuating all those same behaviors, right? He's not going to stick up for the other kid because those are just boys being boys. Oh, forget about it. It's not my problem. He's like, oh, gosh, I have to do something when, I don't know, now they're looking at Jenny. Maybe I should. I don't really want to. And then suddenly when they, whatever they did, he, they took his wallet or I don't know what they did. And yeah, it's like, oh, well, fine. Now I'm going to like. And took the car. Yeah. Now I'm going to I'm gonna fight you or I'm going to like step in. And he takes it on as his own personal. I thought he was exactly 5% the exact same thing okay so so granted so what i think would be helpful though is if you would articulate why that's problematic okay because then is it we don't have a obvious good person yeah so i guess because i felt that he was clearly throughout the whole film cast as good we, we were never meant to be critical of him i thought the people making the film I mean, maybe we were yeah, I mean, you're no, you're making a face that might indicate right. that we were but right. yeah I thought he was supposed to be cast as good. And I thought Jenny, if anything, giggles and enjoys his good-natured joshing with her when he's doing things that are really that same exact kind of behavior. And the fact that that wasn't problematized, but the kid's behavior was, to me, really showed a lack of awareness of what those behaviors are and also a lack of awareness of what that sort of low-level, insidious type of that exact same version of whatever aggressive status yeah exactly it's it's the same thing and i thought by by not making that pronounced first of all it gave their it, it made there be no real enemy in the film because the enemy was also the protagonist in a strange way and it also really i think that's a problematic argument to make to be essentially excusing all of this behavior you take it up to an 11 and it's terrible but on a two you can still be fine will even just laugh at you and be like, oh, that's just that's just funny how you did that. 
stupid thing you did. She probably didn't like that, but you know, you're just joking around. It's all right. I, I think that's fair <laughs> critique. I'm trying to decide if there was anything to the fact that they were clearly higher socioeconomic status. And presumably the reason that they were foisted or they were pushed together onto this beach that resulted in this was because the previous national park or public park had been privatized for yet another tier of socioeconomic status homes because they were clearly they're not wealthy the homes are for the wealthy and you're talking about steve and jenny steve and jenny are yeah middle class of middle middle class she's a teacher we don't know what he does but whatever they have nice things but they're not they're not wealthy they're educated presumably and they're talking about a honeymoon in africa so you're right they're they have some resources yeah, yeah right right but they're not buying one of the homes at the quarry and these kids are definitely kids of working class people. I'm a little bit concerned about your opinion of the party. Because <laughs> I I, you're like, oh, it's really, wow. I was like, it was such a, oh God, I shouldn't say it. I want to say white trash. What I will say is uh, it was a working class blowout party. It was a fine home, but it was like an above ground pool. But that's exactly what I mean. Like, like, that's exactly what I'm saying. But yeah, that at worst, which might be what it was doing, it was casting this sort of socioeconomic divide of those kind of kids are such trouble and they come from, yeah, that side of the tracks. And this is what those people do. And they're all trouble and they're all kind of perpetuating this terrible cycle of whatever. That that's really. Yeah, no, I get that. Troubling? Right. Because they had some potential opportunity to make an argument about how the wealthy taking over public space push pits working class against middle class. I don't think they did that. Interesting. I I don't think they did that really at all. But I think they actually had a, a potential where they could have done that. I was really hoping that at the end there, she had walked into whoever the future homeowners party was. That was my real hope. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Well, because we, if she goes into town, it's everybody that we already know. I, and so as long as you're doing low-hanging fruit, I'll just run through. Kids or not, if you're an older teenager and you're in a group and you're in some sort of wilderness and people have stolen your car and threatened you and at some point pulled a knife on you, or maybe I'll just say for me, if, if at that point, if you pulled a knife on me, it is no longer bargain and fun and games it is i'm gonna fight you and i'm gonna we're, we're gonna go at it till one of us stops where i'm not there's no like once you pulled a knife i don't care this is not fun and games and again what where when we're in that situation and you've threatened us and you've uh stolen from us and then uh, and so at that point it's like okay when you get back to the car she they should have done what she did at the end which is great i'm gonna hit you with my car and it's, you know what? Your dog got killed. Sorry. I told you to control your dog. Your dog tried to attack me. You pulled a knife on me. Your dog got killed. Tough shit. Deal with it. You have escalated this. There are consequences for decisions. You want to you want to continue to escalate that decision. And I don't think, and what I will say is for 
Steve, as we've seen him being willing to take on that challenge, he decidedly doesn't when he is at that moment where consistent with what his character was. And he's willing to wander into some guy's house. And I guess it's Australia, so it's not maybe quite as potentially, I'm just going to shoot you to death. England. Or was it England? Okay. Sorry, I guess I confused accidents accents or something. But uh, yeah, so it's not like, okay, stop make my day like it is in Colorado where, okay, you've set foot in my house, I can kill you outright. But still, that's a really... As you would say, that's a decision made on toxic masculinity and ego and privilege. And so at the point where it's, we pulled a weapon on you, we pulled multiple weapons on you, and we're a group who's going to attack you. So, okay, so there's that. You get back to the car, you use your car. Use it as a weapon. Great. Or leave. Or or, or leave. Right. And, okay, let me think what else I can, I can think of off the top of my head. Adam, our only person of color, which is kind of interesting... Or maybe isn't. Which I don't was know. Adam? It's the only person of color. Well, there were two because the young, the one who seemed like he was being bullied at the beginning. Yep, same kid. No, but then there was also there was a, a black kid who was hanging out with them. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, who like didn't have a single line. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry. The only speaking person of color. Uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. She just like s- stabbed a knife through her foot. He's got a bike. I'm taking your bike. Sorry, kid. Deal with it. I'm taking your fucking bike. And I, I'm going to push with my good foot. And I'm going <laughs> to ride along with my bad foot. And you know what? I really don't care because you're nine years fucking old. And if you don't like it, I'm going to wring your neck and uh, we'll deal with it later. But these are things like, so if you're going to push the like, which sometimes they did. They really pushed the, is violence justified? Where do you get to... And they complicate that a little bit, primarily with the, if you're an adult and these are kids. It's like, wait, with the phone. Are you kidding me? After I've been all that? Give me the goddamn phone. Fuck you and your fucking games. Give me the fucking phone. Like, that's it. If nothing else, I'm going to, like, take a picture of shit or I'm going to record something or, like, that was the other thing. When she's watching them torture him, record it. Okay, even if you don't have, even if it's 2008, you still take some pictures. You've got evidence, if nothing else. And the the lack of use of anything available was just mind-blowing. I don't know if, you, if these things would occur to you, but if that's happening, if I'm watching someone I love get tortured to death, guess what? I'm going to throw a rock at somebody's head. And I'm going to keep throwing those rocks until we have a real... We sort out what's happening. They're all gathered in a place. You're behind, whatever. Put a put a couple of rocks there. Then like her with the with the branch with the flame. You don't think you could swing and hit a kid in the head with a flaming branch, or pick up the bucket of uh, of gasoline and throw it at the throw it at them. Throw the liquid at them. They will burn too. All these sorts of things were just were just these big big huge flaws. Don't run to the one shelter and bar the door. Is that going to help you? What 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 is the strategy there? There's no. I just I'll say this. It infuriated me how useless they made her. He was similarly useless, but for whatever reason, it didn't bother me that he was somewhat useless as well. I feel like she was more useful than he was. 
Although I think he was presented at the beginning as the one who was capable, and right. it wasn't until he was incapacitated that she was able to be useful. Right. But he really didn't have much of a chance. He pretty much got caught right away. So I would say that she... That's true. It's not that she did a great job, right. but she but was she, more useful right. than he was. And I do appreciate that she did some things. She hid them under the thing. She uh, went to the car and got the... But it, see, again... Like, if you're, again, in this sort of survival, once it becomes life-threatening, this is after he was attacked, go to the car. Okay, car alarm sets off. You know that's going to bring people. The one kid's isolated. That's your time to take out that kid. It's a kid. I mean, I understand he was even 14, 15, or whatever he is. I'm still going to be able to take a kid, especially that kid doesn't... You blindside him, just like like the uh, black guy blindsided her. You set off the alarm in the car, wait till they come up, back of the head with a stone or a branch or like all these things. They're just like, so all that is sort of incidental, right? Because there's suspicion, disbelief and all that. And I get that. But there were so many of those. It was like every time we had some kind of momentum, somebody did something that was like comically unthinking. And even I will say, I, you know, obviously, or Hopefully, obviously, I've never been in that kind of situation. But even given, like, shock, like, they were doing enough other rational things that I don't just buy, oh, they were so upset that they just couldn't think of whatever it was. So, all, But all that is incidental to what I think you do do make is an excellent point, which is uh, we've got middle class acceptable toxic masculinity, and we've got lower class totally unacceptable toxic masculinity, and we're pitting them against each other. And that isn't really a productive question, particularly when you're when you end up just othering and um, portraying, representing the lower class or working class toxic masculinity as problematic and really the culprit in the situation, and the middle class more acceptable toxic masculinity as basically he's fine. He's not great, but he's fine. He's normal. He's neutral. And I, I think in the film, beyond that, he was presented as great. He was good. He was, you know, it was a very loving scene where she's going to show him her ring and you better hang in there, right. Steve. I, you know, right. we got this. Like, I think he was entirely, he was he was the, one of the protagonists. And I don't oh, think yeah. you were supposed to problematize him at all. Oh, really? And oh, then, okay. I mean, I, I didn't think you were. I don't I, know. I, I didn't think she just kind of laughed it off. I thought she was just like... Like, when, she, when he went into the house, I thought she was just like, oh, God, here he fucking goes. She was, but again, in a very, like, ineffective, boys will be boys kind of way. She never says and that. She no. just doesn't resist it or call him out. She doesn't, like, just, she says sometimes, just let it go. She says, let's just move. Right. So, and let me ask you this. What would you have done? Would in, you have just moved? Probably. I mean, I, so I thought that went, well, okay, two things I want to say. First. Yeah. Yeah, I think she never she never calls him out and what she does is sort of the exact the exact thing that one would consider problematic about this sort of low-level toxic masculinity as you're calling it or this upper middle class whatever. I, I would say also it's a not just class distinction. I think the film presented it as having a class distinction, but it's this sort of um oh, that's okay. That, that amount is like just normal and fine kind of behavior. And she, that's exactly how she treats it. She gets a yes. little irritated or she seems like she disapproves, but she never, there are never any consequences on him. You never get the sense that you're supposed to like side From with her. her and he's a problem. Yeah. 
I think you really just get the sense of, oh, well, that's just, it's exactly the boys will be boys. I mean, she doesn't say that, but it's exactly that. Well, she still loves him. She still wants to be with him. It's still great. He's going to do that every once in a while. And that's just how it is. Oh, I love you, sweetheart. Everything's basically fine. This is just, there's no need to question this as anything other than just normal and fine. So, so then does the film implicate that? Because they both end up we have to get there because maybe things to each other so it's like well if somebody would have just been the been not toxic masculinity we could have avoided all of this i'm not sure we have to get there okay. maybe okay. but but like you said what would i do i think leave i mean i think and i was actually finding your commentary sort of funny in a way because i i don't it's like the question of at what point is violence justified I feel like one answer to that, or at least the answer I would probably give is if it's a last resort and they had a car, they went to breakfast and then came back. And when she said, let's just move to the other side of the lake, there's part of me that absolutely would have that reaction of like, well, we were here first. That's not right. That's not fair. But I think looking at the situation, looking at the fact that you're clearly outnumbered and that these people are just trying to get a rise out of you, like their whole goal is to irritate you. And so they're not going to back down. They're not going to like, you can't go over there and just... You can't fight them better. You like there's way too many of them. Whatever you can't just go over and like intimidate them. I think. And so, what are you gonna do? Either you engage in this sort of awful confrontation, or you just take their toy away. And you say, well, that's too bad that now we have to like we can't be here, but we just go. And you find a place on the other side of the lake, or you go do something else. Didn't look like that great of a vacation anyway. I have to say. No. I mean, it's, it's totally definitely not. <laughs> And it was sort of presented that way, or it was, a, not sort of, it was very deliberately presented. She was like, yeah, so-and-so is going to a resort or whatever, a suite in Paris. We're going to, uh, you dug your own hole there, Steve, <laughs> pun intended. So let me, and the other, my, my greater critique going off of what you're saying is that's a very easy solution for the film. So great, you know what, have them move across the lake and then have the kids show up there the next day. So force the issue. And and then Steve's like, look, you fucking assholes. We moved because you are assholes. And now you're here where we moved to. Now you've got to fuck off. And but I mean, even then, I don't think it, I don't think the answer is fight them. Maybe not. But in terms of the film, that would have been a very a much easier who's in the right. So what does that I, mean? No, so, see, I don't think so, when so. Do you, so you just never fight them? You when just is, always move? I mean, and that's maybe that's why we're getting down to like the fact that you thought there was an interesting question and I didn't. When is violence justified to me? Not even violence. Like, like, when do you just get to say to someone like, no, you don't get to do that shit? You don't get to... I, don't, I mean... I, I love putting you I on the not, spot with this because I know you don't want to do it. Violence. Like, I so mean, what do you do then? If you can say, but that's the thing. You have to have just some put, sort of power, right? You just sit you, there and tolerate? You have to have something to wield over them. And I think at that point, really, what, else, what do you have other than violence? You have nothing. You can't. So you just can't use that public space? The answer is, I guess, if the. Like, you specifically. Yeah, if the thing that you have to, to use against them is violence. I would say I would opt to do something else. I would I would opt out of that interaction. I mean, and like I said, I, I don't think they're, I mean, they're winning in a sense because they're chasing you off, I guess, but they're also not because I think you're their toy. I think the reason, what they want to do is pick that fight and win. And so I think me personally, I would go do something else. How adult of you. <laughs> oh, I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have for much of my life. I think I did for much of my life. 
And apparently, I, I mean, do you think you would actually? That's an interesting question. Just, I don't know. Would you fight them? I mean, what else can you do? I guess I don't feel like you have any other, like I said, power unless you're going to resort to physical violence, right? That's a great question. What would I have actually done? I think I would have done what he did. And then I probably would have moved. Something similar anyway. Like you need to control your dog. Turn this shit down. We can share this. I might have been sort of polite. And then when it's clear that they have no intention and then, of Right, to and it. then if we had moved and they showed up the next day... You'd have, like, gotten the car out and mowed them down? <laughs> no, no, I, I'm not saying I would have. Um, that, that's a really great question. I, if, I guess if nothing else, I would have... I mean, they would have listened to me talk shit for however long. And then if they had provoked something, then it's great. I'm going to use my white male privilege and my upper middle class situation to fucking bury your shit in the legal system. Oh, I was going to say, see, that seems okay. So you'd leave and you'd go invoke some, I mean, but... Yes. I'm going to use my educated white man privilege to go plead my case to... Although, uh, presumably, this the way the film is set up, if you were in this world, that wouldn't work right. right because the police are all in on it everybody's right. in on it the whole point was that this whole community is dysfunctional right so do you come back and plow them down with your car oh god i'd want to i, I don't know but if they drew if they had drawn a knife or sick the dog on us then yes it would have been we're yeah we're gonna exchange blows and it's not gonna be like a pretty like schoolyard fight it's gonna be i'm gonna go for your eyes and your throat and your joints <laughs> you're raising a <laughs> and really then I'm gonna interesting leave. question it didn't even occur to me that the question of the film could be when is violence justified like you said because like, it seems what is like the boundaries of the social contract when do you get to say to somebody just like the alamo theater when do you get to say to somebody you need to shut the fuck up because you because these things aren't equivalent they're not equivalent. This is what drives me nuts about the, the conservative philosophy in general. Is Wait, what? I know that's a reach, but it's like, it's supposed to be equity in pursuit of happiness. And so if you're, ha but the problem is if your happiness is being loud in the theater and my happiness is not, my happiness doesn't infringe on your happiness. And therefore we have to establish some other guideline. And that is that if we are going to live in a society, you're either going to shut the fuck up or we're going to have to resort to a different means of resolving that issue. And those two means ultimately are going to be a, another authority, whether that's like appeal to the democracy of the theater or the authority of the company that we're patronage of the Alamo, or we're going to fight or we're going to potentially fight. And it's going to be a standoff of do you actually want to fight over this or not? But so when I say that, so it drives me nuts about the conservative philosophy. It's so often it's, it's guns, it's abortion. It's, well, my pursuit of happiness is I get to carry around my gun and point it at your kid 24-7. And if you tell me I can't point my gun at my kid, you're impinging on my freedom of happiness and my liberty. So you don't get to do that. And with abortion, it's the same thing. My pursuit of happiness means that you don't get to have any reproductive control over your own body. And the liberal progressive is... Yeah, but your pursuit of happiness is now impinging on my safety and my well-being and my bodily autonomy. So those are not equivalent pursuits of happiness. And obviously, as a liberal, I'm biased to the fact that 
it is not equivalent and therefore their argument is unsatisfactory and the lines need to be redrawn what the pursuit of happiness is. And so I guess now I'm just ranting about <laughs> conservatives. <laughs> but I think for me, I think that's a very fundamental difference between modern progressive and modern conservative policies of that philosophy is generally unwilling to acknowledge that their quote-unquote freedoms directly impede on those of others. I no, I wish some of that were in the film. I don't know that it was. <laughs> <laughs> but this, this is but the, the whole of the beach scene was like actually interesting. And then after that, it was like, like I said, it was like fine cat and mouse. I guess for me, it stopped being interesting because once you pull the knife and attack me, that question is rendered moot. Because now it's, yeah, violence is justified. At least, at least enough that I can then escape. It's interesting that I think the idea of using violence just has never and feels like it would never occur to me in life. This which is maybe, why you liked human smoke. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's its own, like... You would have been on the side of the fucking pacifists in World War II. Like, oh no, we don't need to attack Hitler. It'll all be fine. <laughs> but, I, I, you like how okay. I just implicated you in genocide? Well, no, now I feel like you're giving me actually a little bit of like ideological ground to stand on, actually, rather. I thought they made a really compelling argument in Human Smoke, actually, that that, that is justified somewhat. Maybe, gee, maybe I do think that. I, I was just wondering if I have lived such a sheltered experience that it just, to me, feels like there would never, this just seems entirely unnecessary. And I guess the only time I would think of someone really infringing on my rights like that would be like, yeah, at the lake and they're trying to be tough and whatever. And so it's like their joke to like harass me. And it would feel like, well, the best, I mean, that's unfortunate. No, I'm not going to like fight them. Why would I do that? And I would just go and I would, I'd be mad at them, but at the same time, it wouldn't be at all worth it to me. Like what I would have to go through, I guess, to stay. That experience would be not at all worth it to me. I would much rather go find something else to do. And at least, like I said, I mean, the only, the only, I guess, plus I would feel in that is like, yeah, well, I I took away their fun. They didn't actually get to have fun really with me where they would if I stayed and engaged, I suppose. But I don't know. That's interesting. That's a, a type of power or an acting of power that I just, I don't ever even picture myself a part of. And so there was like no element of that in my experience of watching this film. All I was watching was they were showing us a fight. And so I was looking at, okay, who's this fight between and who they represented. And it wasn't about, I I, I just got so hung up on who the protagonist was that I couldn't even see the question of should the protagonist be fighting or not? Like, that that escaped me entirely. I think, they, I think your critiques are totally justified and well-founded. Uh, just to acknowledge that. For me, this was... And I was going to say this is a separate issue, but it's not really. I still think your, your point of who then is implicated as the culprits and the othering of, of toxic masculinity only when it's attached to uh, working class lower socioeconomic status people is really problematic. I guess that was the only thing for me because I just, I'm trying to think when, never at this scale, but I'm trying to think of a situation when I've been in when it's just like, I, 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 and and that's probably, it surely is predicated on 
some real men's privilege of I expect to have some sort of respect and acknowledgement of my personal space and boundaries and desires in a public place. And if you impede on that, I'm going to react to it. That being said, for a long time, years, I would only go see movies at like 1030 on Tuesdays, the last week that films were out. This was pre-Alamo because avoidance was was the strategy I used in comparison to confronting people in the movie theater who can't figure out how to shut the fuck up in a movie theater. At some point, I, whatever that has turned in my life, I am now totally willing to turn around and be like, you need to shut it, for better or for worse. But at some level, that's like a violence, right? That's, are we going to confront each other And anytime you confront each other, when you don't know who that person is, there's some sort of possibility of violence, right? No, you're totally right. And it's, yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think confronting versus avoidance is exactly what what you're getting at. That's exactly right on. I can't help but look at that question without first inventorying my arsenal of power. And I, I just, I don't even think of including physical violence on that list doesn't even occur to me as something that i mean like i said unless it's an absolute last resort like i'm stuck in the woods and whatever and there's no option and i guess i have to figure out how to wield a fiery stick or whatever i have to do but if there are any other options available including avoidance that just feels like an obvious answer (laughs) but that's not what this is about betrothed or whatever is being tied up in torture you're gonna avoid no no i mean that's you're right that feels like yeah, that's different. That feels like violence being enacted on you, I mean, essentially. So yeah, if it's the only way to fight back. Not well, I'm glad to hear that there is some effective. sort of limit to your pacifism. I will throw rocks at someone's head if they are trying to burn you or whatever it is they're I mean, doing. I, I, I hate to sound like the Walter Sobchak of the discussion here, but... I'm talking about drawing a line in the sand, dude. Across this line, you do not... Anyway, that's what what I got out of it. The rest of it, uh, not not too much to say. Okay, but let's at least, I mean, I know we've sort of hit this already, but just at the beginning and end of the film, they talked about unruly kids being a problem. There was the radio broadcast on the way out, and then there was discussion at the end of the parents saying like, oh, but they're only kids, and they're, you know, and then you see, like you said, there's a... I think I missed the... Oh, definitely, definitely. Okay. um, there was, I mean, at the party, yeah, there was right. commentary about them just being kids. Right. And then when the, whatever, little boy goes, little boy, when the, he goes upstairs and he's got the Ray-Bans on and whatever. And, you know, there was certainly in that, in his movement upstairs, I think you saw, like you said, the cycle of abuse kind of argument. Oh, totally. So there's some sort of discussion around that, around the cycle of abuse. And I think the cycle of abuse then assumes that, well, you can't just blame the kids, right? Like it's about, it's a film about unruly kids, but you can't just blame the kids. You have to also blame like the parents and the people the kids came from because they're generating this type of behavior. I will say that it's, can I just briefly interject to say that it is very deliberately and specifically the antagonistic white men who are the purveyors of the abuse, of the abusive hegemonic masculinity because it's in each case it was the quote-unquote like leader who badgered and bullied each of the other folks 
who presumably had less power uh, into the violence they perpetrated, including Steve. I guess he didn't... Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't really badger and bully in the same way, but I'm trying to think if he encouraged... He actually encouraged her to run more than he did, like, tell her, like, oh, take him out or whatever. But on the other two... Anyway, go ahead. But I think, I think that's the point the film was trying to make, was these kids are problems. These kids are problems in part because their whole community is making them problems. And that felt like a really sticky, problematic argument for the film to be making. There were also a lot of parallels in structure to I Spit on Your Grave. And we haven't touched on that yet. I just want to raise that because I think the fact that, you know, the scene at the lake, it's very similar to what's going on at the beginning of I Spit on Your Grave with these guys doing jerky stuff just to show off and be irritating for the sake of being irritating and see if they can chase her away or whatever. And you have the same kind of breakdown and culpability between you've got like the ringleader and then you've got the people who are like kind of on board and kind of not. And the film, you know, indicts them sort of to varying degrees. And I think in this film, we have the same kind of layout where I would argue that by our with Jenny killing the probably a couple of the least problematic of the group right at the end, maybe the film is making the argument that they're all sort of a problem. Maybe. I just think overall what they were trying to, the issue they were trying to raise was those darn kids. And when you particularly then stratify that on socioeconomic lines, I find that really troubling. And it, it might be interesting just to talk about the I Spit on Your Grave parallels in, in film structure and why that was an effective film and this wasn't to me. I would say one of the reasons is that you had a very clear, the villain and I Spit on Your Grave, it was very clear what that was. And it was very similar in a sense, like a version of problematic masculinity. But then the, the protagonist was clearly not that. And you watched the protagonist enact revenge and, and you were on the side of the protagonist. And in this, the protagonists themselves had some of the same traits. And it just didn't... I don't know, like that argument actually... I guess I said that didn't seem to play out as problematic. I don't know that they were critiquing even violence or aggression. They, I, they just seemed to be critiquing... I don't know what. Yeah, Those no. kids from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah, it, right. We should look. I wonder if this is... What was this, 2008? When, when was Them released? That's exactly... That's what I looked up on my phone, if you noticed when you came back from was the bathroom yeah. once I was looking on my phone. Because my um, bet is... It was, was it was right in the same ballpark. Now I don't remember. Oh, 06, I think, maybe? Okay, so, so two years later. So this could very easily have been like a, hey, this film did well in France. Let's do some kind of English language version of this spin it up a little bit so it's American and spit it out. It does, yeah, that was exactly my thought. It also seemed I, to have I, some relevance. I'm dying to know. Someday. Someday, Laura. I want to know if any of these theories we put out there about production and decisions about story and inspiration and whatever else are even remotely in the ballpark of accurate or they're all just wild... Like, nobody's that deliberate. People are just... We both had the exact same reaction to it. And I also, I looked up them first, and I believe it was 06. And then I looked up Calvaire, is that how you pronounce it? Which is another one of the French New Extreme, whatever. 
I didn't really like it, but it had a similar vibe to this in the sense that like once you're in this town and I think it was like a town of sort of backwards, whatever, it had a, a similar socioeconomic kind of feeling vibe. Like once you're in the town, the whole town won't let you out and everybody is working together and you're just trapped. Which is a theme in horror films often. And what was the your next? Isn't that the more deliberate ripoff of them with Liv Tyler? I didn't see that. Maybe. Something like that. Is that with the guy from Downton Abbey? Yeah, I didn't see it. Okay, I didn't either, but it was... Anyway, surely that film was important enough to have provoked whatever you want to call it. Homages, ripoffs spinoffs yeah so if we do the how about this so then my question is it, I guess what my thought was then like how could this have been better one we needed a obvious good person or victim so I guess if it would have been something like she wakes up in the morning and he's been killed just like for sport so there isn't some sort of provocation to where he's also Steve, I mean, is also a problem. For me, I would have loved it if it had been more of a... Actually, it would have been better if it had been essentially a rape revenge, except instead of a rape, it was they killed my... So he, he she wakes up, Steve's dead, she finds the ring, she realizes, oh, he brought me out here to propose to me, and heterosexual imaginary is still terrible, but whatever, okay, that's enough... She snaps, and that turns into a cat and mouse where I would hope that she would have some more agency. Uh, and that would have been could have been kind of interesting. Then you see a woman mow down a bunch of kids. That's kind of cool. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the history of the genre, I don't know if that's happened a lot. Do you um, want to explain the heterosexual imaginary for a... Sure. Heterosexual imaginary, right, is Chris Ingraham's um, argument that heterosexuality is in and of itself a panacea for social interaction, ritual, and meaning. And so in the case of film, it would be that, that having a heterosexual relationship is a perquisite or a sufficient plot device for literally anything so in this case it's they can't just be going to camp if somehow there's a heterosexual ritual attached to it in this case engagement then everything is justified and explained and heightened and important and uh, whatever else okay so yes it would have been better than if we didn't have if we had a protagonist that did not exemplify the same problematic behavior, basically, that the antagonist did, because then there could be a moral argument. This, In this case, the moral argument was super confusing. And I really think, I really think making it about those darn kids was a huge problem for the film. I think that was hugely problematic. I mean, especially the way they tied it to socioeconomic status. I just think that was a... a horribly troubling i mean imagine if they had tied it to race how would that have felt right oh it's just those you know right. fill right. in the blank hoodlums out right. there who are you know yeah, terrorizing yeah. us um and oh the whole community is like that and that's just 
Right. How those yeah. people are. That's great. And, it, great and then we bookend it with commentary on just horribly racist or yeah, whatever yeah. commentary. Right. That's really troubling. And that's essentially what they did. Yeah. So they would have had to punch up that it's not necessarily about class. It's the it's the cycle of abuse. It's the promotion of violence within the community that perpetuates. Maybe. Gosh, I don't know. Because then it's like our our protagonists were somehow like they were from the community where this would never happen. And they wandered into the community where it's ubiquitous. And that would have to not happen. You would have to have these anomaly kids. Or, yeah, because if they're, I mean, because they're kids, they're going to grow up into grown-up people. You know, it's, I'm thinking into I Spit on Your Grave, right? And I said, I, when I was thinking anomaly, in there, like, do you have these anomaly men who are doing this? Well, no, I think they're meant to represent a problematic masculinity that's that's prevalent. So it's not that they have to be different from everyone else, but it kids, you can't problematize kids without, I mean, kids just turn into grown-ups. You, you know, it's, it, I, I don't know. Unless you're really, unless your argument that you're making would be that kids are trouble, but that's weird. And if you make it the cycle of abuse, but you make it a cycle that's not from it's not ubiquitous. It's not the people coming into the film, you know, our, our protagonists in the film, they don't experience that. That doesn't work. So I think you just get rid of the whole. I think there needs to be some acknowledgement that wealth insulates from at least stranger violence. Clearly we've researched that domestic violence and child abuse and those sorts of things that happen in the home happen in all income levels. But I, I, you know, I remember uh, Katie Searles, she worked at a, what did she work at? She worked at some sort of social welfare agency in Camden, New Jersey, which is like one of the most violent communities in the country. Clear as day, I remember her talking about, she was like the level and the, the amount and frequency of violence that is normalized for these folks would just melt your brain, would just blow your mind. She was just astounded by how how normalized it was and it isn't at least again i mean i think that's something i'm not saying it's their fault but what i'm saying is that no i don't know what i'm saying i'm trying to i'm trying to offer a nuanced position that it is not the it's not some inherent flaw in poor people it is not some i'm not trying to stigmatize them what i'm saying is that uh for various reasons violence at least at least public or, or or people you don't know, there are greater rates of violence in poorer neighborhoods. So there could have been some way, I'm trying to think if there could be some way to say like, I, I, and I think that was part of what the terror was in them was like, it's so, it's such a fun game and such a normal thing for these, for these kids. Like they don't even register this as horrific. At least that's what I remember. I've only watched that film once because I was terrified. Like it was, it was really uh, one, I mean, an intensely traumatic viewing experience for me. But but I remember that being like, uh, that sociopath, like, there is no empathy. It really is just a game to them. This is just a, another afternoon or, or a, a sport for them. I, and But it's odd because I don't remember, I mean, that was before, long before we did all this. But I don't remember, I guess the very short thing, way of, what I've gotten to is to ask the question, if it were just those darn kids and not those darn poor kids, would it be okay? 
I want to take a step back in what you're saying and and say that I think think if you're going to make any argument that problematizes a, a stigmatized group of people along lines that could be seen as saying that they are individually not like structurally somehow responsible for that you have to be really careful sure and so i feel like to do that well a film would have to like really strongly amp up the structural side of that argument because it's like we talk about a lot where you have to make sure that the film can't be misinterpreted as saying sure it seems obvious like i said when you think about it with race in the film but i mean i'm back to like trump and his comments around mexicans or whatever right like oh those violent people that they're just all whatever there's a tendency to other and problematize people and to look at a situation where like if you have a, a structural circumstance that is promoting more uncertainty and insecurity among people and and more violence in association with that type of like structure that to see that as individual flaws and oh people like that are just like that and i even then question pulling in like the cycle of abuse as a an answer because that again those are just other that's a a sort of an individual influence like oh well it's the parents fault parents made the kids and the kids are a problem and without looking at like i said the the structure of constraints i guess like if, if there are communities that have higher levels of violence that likely comes from some i've used the word structural 900 times here but some sort of structural constraints that can feed into that and so i think it would have to be really 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 carefully done so as not to potentially problematize the individuals like there's something faulty about them or they're making bad decisions or even they're screwing up their own kids i think that's still too too problematic i mean what comes to mind for me is first purge did that and did it well i know there was a little bit of light between us on how we took that but I mean, the whole the whole thing of the film is structural constraints and creating conditions that encourage this without actually attributing it to really individual culpability or flaw or or demographic group flaw of like oh it's those people. So I guess additional kudos or return to kudos for uh, for the first purge. I was what was I going to say? So would it have helped to have? So my thought was, how do we, how would we have done that in the film? And then my next thought was, would it have helped for us to have one or two kids who are from that same scenario, working class, you know, whatever, not maybe great family or whatever, who tried to intervene or tried to do something positive or who were at least more adamant or vocal in their criticism so it would have been like, well, it's not all of those kids. It's some of them. I don't know. I can't help but keep getting drawn back into like the Saints and the Roughnecks kind of argument here. That's good. And that, so the Saints and the Roughnecks, right, was, I don't, do you know who that's by? Chambliss. Oh, okay. A long time ago, 70s. But an argument basically that it looks at kids from, I guess, different socioeconomic backgrounds. And it was an ethnography, right? And basically found that the kids from different socioeconomic backgrounds were engaging in fairly similar levels of deviant behavior. And in terms of how problematic that deviant behavior was, it was also fairly similar. But the kids from the lower socioeconomic background tended to be doing it more out in the open, right? More in public, more in places that they could be seen. They were more stigmatized for it 
by authorities and the types of sort of deviant behaviors that the they were referred to as the roughnecks in the article engaged in um, were problematized more by the police than the types of deviant behaviors that the sort of wealthier kids were engaging in. And also when they interacted with authorities, I think they interacted differently. And so that the, the roughnecks didn't know how to put on a good show basically with authorities and seem like they were of a similar socioeconomic background. And because of that, the authorities came down on them harder, whereas the saints were seen as like, oh, you're just kids messing around, um, even though they were they were doing sort of similar, similar problematic stuff. And so I can't help but, I mean, if we're going to make an argument about those deviant kids, I just can't help but keep thinking that in this film that I don't know that they set up the structural circumstances in this community such that these kids were in some sort of dire straits where they really, oh, violence was just so normal and they're just experiencing so much awfulness. I felt like they were just, like you said, it was a working class neighborhood. And I don't know that kids in a working class neighborhood, that it makes sense to have a film that characterizes them as so deviant and problematic and just violent and whatever when, you know, these upper middle class Again, there's not that big of a socioeconomic divide in this film, which actually kind of makes it funnier. Yeah. Kids are probably, whatever, they're vandalizing things differently or they're stealing things in a different way or whatever that somehow isn't as problematic. I don't, and one of the points, I'll just say for the sake of telling the rest of the saints in the roughneck story, one of the points of the article related to labeling theory and this idea that the, the roughnecks, because they got labeled as deviant by society, they then labeled themselves as deviant and they continued to engage in these deviant behaviors. The label of being deviant impacted their future trajectory a whole lot, whereas the saints were just labeled as good kids who did a bad thing, so what, they're going to grow out of it, were, that kind of thing. They were really not labeled. Yeah, right. They were not right. labeled deviant. They right. were labeled yeah. kids. Exactly. And yeah, it was normal. And it was just, oh, that's just what you do as a kid. And so they had much more positive future trajectories. I don't know. I just can't help but feel that in this film. Like, it was just so... What if the film was punching up? What if it was a bunch of rich kids and they were like, and Steve and Jenny were like, you know, fuck off. And they were like fuck you, this is where our future homes are going to be. This is our land. You drove into our executive estate. You can kiss off. This is our beach now. I like fuck it better. You, oh, there we go. I like it way better because it's it's um, it's countering a societal inclination or stereotype that goes the other direction. So it's providing like counterpoint to what you could call a problematic, a problematically existing stereotype, which would be that, oh, rich kids are fine and poor kids are trouble. So if you then have a film that highlights the other side of that, I think that can be useful. This, there we go. This one's problematic because it's highlighting the already problematized side of that argument. So if you're going to do that, you better be really careful because it looks so much like you're just reasserting that same stereotype. Yeah, and that would have made sense logistically because they make the point of them cutting into the fenced-off construction area. And they totally... And then he could have been like, you know, look, this is a park. That you all so have much a fucking better. problem here. I was here first, really. Yeah, you put up a fence, but this is... You know, I've been coming here for my whole life. Or, I don't know, you know, whatever. Oh, so much better. So much better. Okay, so there's something. So there's an improvement. Oh, that's my other thing. When, when Jenny ditches the bike and grabs the limb instead of just like poking it at his fucking spokes swing in his face swing in his face so every time she had a, a chance to really although she did come around she did escalate to the point where she just runs the girl over boom boom 
She did. And that was that was helpful. Jenny had a bit of a I mean, on the topic of bad stereotypes, she was sort of an incapacitated woman through a lot of it. Then it was odd when I feel like there were appeals made to her sense of empathy for these kids, which were not made to Steve. Right. It, well, first of all, and then she, she's a teacher. Right. And then she's a nurse with Steve, very much, very stereotypically. Right. And then, she, yeah, she's running away, you know, trying to get away, which is the obvious thing to do when she got out of the burning fire pit, whatever. And, and someone yells, you know, we're going to hurt, was it Adam? We're going to hurt Adam if you don't come back. Which is a ridiculous yeah. thing. So they wouldn't have said that to Steve. And they say it to Jenny, and she actually yeah. stops and like kind of thinks about it. And it's like, that's crazy. And right. then when she stabs whoever that other kid is, who arguably was going to maybe help her, we oh, don't really know. Right. Like she, And then she's like, oh, gosh, oh, no, oh, no. And right. then she clearly regrets it right. immediately, and he's just a kid, and she feels so bad. And that was really stereotypically icky to like put all of that on Jenny's character. Right. Yes, it is. It was very like, oh, she has to get used to violence. and But uh, on the other hand, Steve wasn't just comfortable wielding violence. So she wasn't, oh, he's a man he can put up with. He can see blood and he can punch and hit and attack and whatever without really thinking about it. And then she has to have this traumatic moment because she finally steps up and, and inflicts violence. I guess that's true. I mean, it's not great, but it's not like as bad. It's not the worst expression of that double standard. I guess that's true. Yeah. It was up there with maybe highlighting their, like you said, their engagement as the centerpiece of the emotional story in the film. Right. Right. He could have just been like a decent guy. And then we, (laughs) and then we wouldn't have needed the ring because we would have felt bad. Instead, like you say, it's like, ah, Steve's dead. That's all right. You know, he was very pretty, but you'll find a guy who actually listens to you when you tell him to just walk away or that it's not funny to attack you in the dark or whatever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Maybe we've belabored this adequately. yeah, 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 I think so. So we grade the films on social responsibility. Although, you know, I was just listening to uh, some episode, and I think it was still rabid, and you made the argument that we should grade it two ways. You're like, we should grade it as entertainment, and then that should factor into the grade of social responsibility. Because you made a convincing argument on the episode, but it was something about if it's... uh, really entertaining but it's really problematic argument like that's arguably worse i think that kind of interaction effect that's like the summer of 84 kind of situation where you might enjoy the film without realizing that it was right actually right which is like right which we argued was kind of insidious so i'll say like entertainment value I feel like Jalo's going to judge me for this but i feel like entertainment value i was like i don't know like b minus And that's okay. I, I, Laura will pass judgment here in a moment. Uh, in terms of social responsibility, which is our thoughts on the film in terms of uh, portrayal of a real social issue, the responsibility of that portrayal, things like representation in terms of diversity, who's the agentic characters, who are the characters we empathize with. Is there anything else? Something else. Emotional experience of the film. I 
don't think it's really a particularly pressing social issues. I mean, we've got concerns about violence among kids, but rates of violence have actually been dropping in the U.S. for decades, right? And this kind of violence in particular, you know, we had minimal diversity. It wasn't a great portrayal. I don't like D+. I'm going to take a a more harsh tack on it. Because on the one hand, yes, like the actual violence depicted in the film, like people attacking you in the woods or whatever. Our is nudity or violence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That being attacked by strangers in the woods is probably not a super common form of violence, but I'm going to, I'm going to look more at its argument and oh, say the that, darn kids that, well, yeah. And just in general, the sort of those people is really a prevalent and incredibly problematic form of violence. And if you're going to dabble with a film, if you're going to dabble in that area with a film, I think you're suddenly in very, very important meaningful territory. I mean, you are exactly the kinds of statements that Trump makes about Mexican immigrants. That's 100% what you're doing. And so if you're going to paint with a broad brush and try to make that kind of argument, I think you're dealing with a really pressing social issue. And because of that, and the fact that I think they did it really badly, I'm inclined to knock them down really far. And also, I mean, the violence to me felt the whole first, I don't know, 80% of the movie, I just hated it for those reasons and it just felt horribly problematic and the violence was entirely gratuitous it just i just hated it I, it just it felt like it makes me feel better that you suggested this film <laughs> for, for, for the record well i'm kind of glad you didn't hate it too because after you hated come to daddy so oh, much yeah. i just i didn't want to have like two oh, films in a row that were just horrible right. experiences i at least liked come to daddy right. <laughs> well i don't know if i'll say you liked it but whatever I don't know. I mean, it felt gratuitous at the beginning and it felt, but it never felt like a spectacle, I guess. I mean, okay, maybe it did a little bit, but not a spectacle in the sense that you were like on board. You wanted to be one of the kids torturing the people. It helped then that it wasn't like sexual violence or something like that, that, that we have seen presented that way in films. It kind of gives kind of a surprising lack I, of threat of sexual violence. I was really happy about that. Yeah. Actually, it's, it's, that was nice. It's something. Toward the end, Oddly. it felt like, I think they started to think about making an argument right at the end. I thought they did. And then I don't think they... About sexual violence? No, no, no. Just in oh. general. Oh. Um, so I started to feel like the violence maybe was not quite so gratuitous. When she like mowed down one of the kids in the forest or whatever, I thought, oh, now the violence is being used to like implicate people. Maybe this is going to go somewhere. And then I think it didn't. God, I don't know. Somewhere in the F category. Because I think it actually really promoted a, a problematic thing that people do and it did it too and what about entertainment value i didn't like it till the end because i didn't think it was making an argument and it wasn't interesting at all to me and i just watching people grunt and throw things at each other for like an hour and a half is not interesting to me d oh okay so not great on both counts I think it was worse in terms of what it promoted, like sure. morally, than it was entertain. You know, it didn't right. it didn't torture me entertainment wise as much as it tortured me morally. So I'll go with F and D. All right, there you have it. Eden Lake. I thought Kelly Riley's acting was good. Fastbender, I thought was pretty good too. I don't think his character was written all that well, but yeah, it was fine. It was that was fine. He did like death throws pretty well. <laughs> You're right, that was most of his acting. Wasn't it? Oh, it just drove me crazy that she was so 
a 1950s woman. I kept thinking back to my, my mom was born in 49 and she says to me sometimes she, she hated her job, which has become sort of a defining characteristic of her life. Very sadly is that she spent, I don't know, however many years just in a job she absolutely hated. And I think it really hurt her ability to like function in this world. And she will say sometimes that she's like, you know, I, when I was growing up, there were three options. You could be a stay at home mom, you could be a teacher, or you could be a secretary. And she said, so I picked secretary. And it's just the way she said it so matter-of-factly was just very sad. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess I, I just, I kept thinking that when I saw this Jenny in this film, thinking, oh, she's, she's a nurse. She's a yeah. teacher. I don't know. Yeah. She wears her bathing suit. That's like all she does. You know, yeah. she's just very yeah. limited options. Totally. Okay. And there's Eden Lake. Which, despite it being called Eden Lake and having the first kid they meet be Adam, and them being a couple who is getting married, had virtually nothing to do with any sort of biblical illusion or reference. Unless this was another mother scenario. <laughs> oh, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> where like everybody totally represents like a disciple and it's all like a test of God. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, and, you know, if that's the case, that's, I'm cool. I'm, Fine that we didn't get that. Was the sign at the beginning? If it said that yuppie, whatever it said on, we don't know on the sign because it was a blurry like image. Yuppie, something, something. Yeah, something. Was it meant to be? Was that more like not at? It's just a socioeconomic conflict. Like they're the yuppies. They came in to I the know, territory of the lower class people, and I suppose, but they're not the folks not who the, are actually yeah, privatizing the lake. All right, so. I don't know. Okay, this is the Collective Nightmares podcast. We appreciate your listening to us. Please rate, review, subscribe. All right, Eden Lake uh, coming up. Oh, I still want to. I kind of want to see Invisible Man. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Horror films are our collective nightmares. I hope that was interesting. Uh, yeah, it was <laughs> got a lot more out of it than <laughs> we were going to. Than piercing. God, I saw some other. I saw some other thing about that, and it was also it was it was like laudatory, and I was like squinting at this review, or it was a mention in like an article about some other film about piercing. Yeah. And I was like, is this one of those like Emperor's New Clothes things in Hollywood where like nobody gets it, but nobody wants to admit it that they don't get it? Or there's like not actually anything there? That's interesting. And nobody wants to be the one to like say, what the fuck is it? You know? I don't know. I, anyway, that's, that's such a bizarre film. Well, that was fun. Yeah. I enjoyed talking to you about it. Yeah, me too. Always. I, it does feel nice to have gotten back to some violence it wasn't satisfying though the violence is satisfying in horror when it really nails the argument and that just didn't yeah, so i'm something. disappointed about that would you say carnivalesque again so i can cut that in because i bumped the table oh can't would you say carnivalesque carnivalesque <laughs> awesome 
A heterosexual relationship is, um, uh, <clears throat> what, what is her argument? Is, um, uh, is, uh, in this case, it would be that is in and of itself a, it's like the most, I'm not explaining this well.